Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. I read again, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And so every one of us can put ourselves in this category this morning. That we love God, and because we love him, we are called to purpose in this life. When we break down that word purpose, it's in the Greek, something like prothesis, something like that. And what it means is it, means it talks about an advanced plan and it talks about a deliberate plan. So the purpose of God is advanced, which I'm gonna explain just now, but it's also deliberate. So in Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, Jesus talking of himself, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. I'll say it again, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. In other words, he's at the beginning of time, but he's also at the end of time at the same time. He's, I've used this example before, it's, it's best to describe if like we see time as what's in front of my eyes now. I can't, I don't know what's gonna happen in the next hour. I can't tell you what's gonna happen in the next 10 minutes. Maybe someone's gonna go up and go to the bathroom. I don't know that. I can't see that. I can look back what's happened in the past. I can look back at what I'm seeing now. But God, when He looks at this time span of earth, right? We know He created it in Genesis and there's a time gonna come when Jesus is gonna, we sang that song now, come Lord Jesus, can the Spirit and the Bride can say come, where the second coming of Christ will happen. And this earth as we know it, the Bible says it's actually just gonna burn up and it's gonna be a new earth. So there's a time set for mankind on this earth. And God sees that whole system. He sees the beginning from the end and He sees the end from the beginning. And so He knows what's gonna happen in 10 minutes. He knows what's gonna happen in an hour. He knows what's gonna happen tomorrow. And so what God does is that He has a specific plan and a specific purpose for mankind during our time on this earth. And so in every generation, when we'll see from Scripture now, in every generation, He will raise up people for a deliberate purpose, for a deliberate plan at exactly the right time to fulfill His purpose. And so let's look at an example in Acts chapter seven. If you go there with me, Acts chapter seven, I'm gonna read verse one to seven and then verse 17 to 20. And then we'll look at another example. Acts chapter seven, verse one to seven says this, this is the speech of Stephen just before he got martyred. It says, and the high priest said him, said him, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory, says, so giving a bit of a history of, of the Israelites. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And his father died 
God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Verse five, yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And he spoke, God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others. Talking about Egypt, right? Who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. Verse seven, but I will judge that nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And so he gives a bit brief history about a promise that he made to Abraham saying, Abraham, you've come into, remember he told Abraham, if you remember that, walk through the land. And so he walked and he explored the land and God said to him, you're not gonna live here now. And he says that because there's these times and seasons that you don't really understand, but in 400, I think it was like 200 years after that. Anyway, it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then the Israelites went into Egypt. And so he said to Abraham, for 400 years, the nation of Israel will be in Egypt. But after that time, you will be set free. And so if we fast forward in Stephen's like history of Israel, in verse um, 17, it says this, but as the time of the promise drew near, the promise we just spoke of now, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. I'll keep on reading. Until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. And listen to this. At this time, Moses was born. And so we're talking about God's advanced, deliberate plan that he, for 400 years, in this advanced plan of his, in the wisdom of God, he said, Israel will be enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. But after 400 years, I will let them go and they will enter into the promised land. And so what does he do? He puts a man at the end of the 400 years, at the exact time of Israel's deliverance, Moses was born to fulfill the plan of God. I'll read another one. Galatians chapter four, verse four. Where's Galatians? There we go. Galatians four, verse four, talking about Jesus. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his own son, born of woman, born under the law. I'll read again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his own son, born of a woman, born under the law. In this timeline that God sees the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning, he had a specific moment when Jesus would come into the earth. He didn't send Jesus in the days of Abraham or in the days of Jacob or in the days of the exile in Babylon. He deliberately placed Jesus there at that stage. And what we see at that stage when he planned Jesus to come, he planned Mary to be born already. He planned Mary to be of a certain age to receive the Christ child. And so what I want us to see is that God, when He plans these things, He plans events, He plans seasons, He plans to do things, 
whether it's releasing the nation of Israel from Egypt or, or bringing the Christ child into the earth. He doesn't go, hmm, meeny, meeny, miny, mo, you. You look good enough. You look faithful enough. You bear the Christ child. Or, hmm, you look like you've got big muscles. You can deliver the nation of Israel from Egypt. I choose you. He doesn't look amongst who there is and who's available. He has specifically placed people in those positions for those times. The famous words of Esther, right? The book of Esther. Mordecai challenges her and says, have you not been born again? Have you not been born for a time? I'm born again. <laughs> have you not been born for a time such as this? And that was her very purpose for which she came into the earth was to deliver the Jewish nation from the hands of Haman and to change the, what they call the edict of the king of Babylon. He was gonna wipe out the whole Jewish nation. But Esther, in the, in the, in the timeline and the, just the, the events that happened, and she was able to come before the king and change his mind. She was born into the purpose and the plan of God for such a time as this. And so here's the thing. God's advanced and deliberate plan doesn't just apply to Moses and Mary and Esther and Abraham and Gideon, but it belongs to us too. Every single human being, Alexander Scott Pettigrew, born into the earth at the right time for a deliberate purpose to the right parents in the right city for a specific plan of God. And many of us will have the privilege of watching that child grow up and fulfill the purpose of God in his life. I wanna read Psalm 139. Again, probably one of the best Psalms. Psalm 139, verse 14 to 16. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. My wife's also heavily pregnant. <laughs> and so the baby's coming soon. And so we went for a scan. When was it last week? And it's just, it's amazing when you, the, the availability of technology that we have today and then you, you read Psalm 139. In the, in the Passion Translation, it's, it talks about like how you formed my bones. And like on the scan, they are like, you can see like the literal bones, you know, and they measure, they'll you say, this is the forearm, and they measure that, and they say, this is the thigh, then they measure that. And you can see the eyes, and you can see the brain, and you can see the heartbeat. That baby, it tells me all his days have already been written in a book. He, it says that God was, he, he intricately woven. Detail 
upon detail. You will have brown eyes. My children have curly hair. You will have big hands. You will have small feet. You will be quiet. You will be loud. (laughs) He doesn't make mistakes. And so when God made you, all your days were written in his book. And he gave you special gifts and special abilities to fulfill the purpose that he has for you. You weren't born in the wrong era. I heard people say, I wish I was born in in the 60s or I wish I was born in the hippie movement or I wish I was born in Jesus' time. No. If you were meant to be born then, you would have been born then. If you were meant to be white, you would be white. If you were meant to be black, you were black. If you were meant to be Chinese, you would be Chinese. But you're not. You're you. And it's not a mistake that you're you. It's not a mistake that you don't live in America or Afghanistan. The people in in Afghanistan were born with a purpose to influence the nation of Afghanistan. That's why they're there. God makes no mistakes. You are not a mistake. It wasn't a big bang and boom. Mankind was created. Nonsense. That's where it just breeds purposelessness. In life, we just float around without purpose. We just, we just hear and then we're gone. God intricately wove you. To take it even further in, in Galatians chapter one, Go back to Galatians. Paul, writing of himself, says, but when he who, just what we read, Psalm 139, but he, when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I'll read again, verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born. That word set apart means to appoint for a purpose. The purpose of Paul's recognizing in the book of Galatians, the purpose of God, while I was being intricately made, the the book that was written for my life was that I would be a preacher of the Gentiles. And we see Paul's life. He did the exact opposite of that where he, he grew up in, in the Hebrew culture and he became the Pharisee, call himself the Pharisee of Pharisees, the most zealous among all his peers. And he did in total contradiction to the thing that God had called him to, where he would go to churches and to temples and to houses and to synagogues and he would drag the Christians out by their hair and by their ears and pull them and torture them. You just read the address of Stephen. Paul was there, it says, when Stephen was being martyred and they, were, they had these huge rocks and they were just throwing them at him and killing him. It says, Paul was holding their garments, approving of what they were doing. But the purpose of God, 
the very thing for which Paul was born for at that time, at that nation, came to pass. God pursued him until he came to this realization. He's like, this is what I was born for. This is what I was made for. And so here's what we have to grasp. God appointed you because He believes that you are capable of fulfilling that function. I read again. God appointed you because He believes that you are capable of fulfilling that function. Whatever it is that God has called you to, you are able to do it. When he, Psalm 139, when he intricately wove you in your mother's womb, he put everything inside of you that you would need later on in life. Whether that's like Paul, to preach the gospel. He put that inside of you. He put that gift. He put that anointing. He put that ability inside of you to be able to fulfill their calling, whether it's to, to be a worshiper like Anthony and Simone. See, that, those, those giftings, those abilities were placed inside of them in their mother's womb. And now we see them walking out 20, 30 years later, walking out the purpose and the plan of God at this time, in this nation, in this church. God makes no mistakes. And so we feel inadequate. We, the, the, often the, the task that he, he, he gives, it, it feels overwhelming. And we want to throw in the towel, we want to give up. But just look back, look in, and you'll discover that everything that you need is already inside of you. Everything that he would have you walk out, he's already given you the ability to do that. And so God believes in you. He believes in us more than we believe in ourselves most often. But God believes in you. And so this is what I want to get at this morning is that This purpose, like we talked about Moses, talked about Mary, talked about Paul, the purpose of God didn't come without resistance. There were challenges, there were trials, some were, were persecuted that they had to, to face, right? Moses was supposed to be killed when he was a baby. Mother had to hide him. King James called bull rushes. Reeds. <laughs> hide him in. He made a basket of reeds, put him in the river now to protect his life. Later on, we see Moses growing up and he recognizes the purpose of God in him. He recognizes that God has brought him into the earth as the deliverer. And he goes out in his mighty strength of Moses and he kills an Egyptian. And God's like, no, dude, that's not how it works. And he had to run away into the desert for 40 years. Then the purpose of God came about. What about Mary, the mother of the illegitimate child? The Bible says that 
when Joseph found out she was pregnant, he planned to divorce her. Then an angel of the Lord had to appear to him in a dream and say, no, what she's telling you is true. And then they got married. I'm sure back in those days they could do the calculations. Wait, you've been married seven months, but you already have a baby? Especially in that culture. The shame that she would have to carry. Paul, gosh, Joshua spoke about it. The hardships, the persecutions that Paul had to face. The resistance that he had to walk out the purpose and the plans of God. That's why Romans 8, 28 says, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. There wouldn't be anything to work to good if it wasn't bad. If it wasn't in contrast to what God was calling us to. It wasn't in contrast to the purposes of God. So he takes the bad and he turns it to good. And so what we're gonna do now, we're gonna look in this context is we're gonna look at the life of Joseph. And so I want you to go with me to Genesis chapter 37 and we're gonna read verse five to 11. Genesis chapter 37, verse five to 11. Looking at the life of Joseph. Everybody with me so far? So if you know a little bit of the story of Joseph was, he was the son of Jacob's favourite wife. Jacob had four wives and 12 sons. And Joseph was the, like I said, the the son of his favourite wife. And so he loved the son more than the other sons, which is a bit silly for a father. He openly showed that. And so he would buy Joseph like a special coat and give him special privileges and give him all the best stuff, and the other guys had to be out in the field looking after the the animals. And so this is Joseph, and then in verse five to 11, he, he has a dream. At the age of 17, God begins to reveal purpose to him. Why he was born into the earth at that place, at that time, and for a particular reason. So it says this, now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream it's like it's like, I dreamed a dream. <laughs> What's her name? Susan Doyle or something like that. Has <laughs> anybody not watched that thing? You, you'll cry, man. It's just amazing. What's it called? It's Susan Doyle, eh? Spoil. If you haven't, you know, if you have, what the heck is this guy talking about? Just go into YouTube, Susan Doyle, I dreamed a dream audition. Amazing. Anyway. Then he dreamed another, it's like nothing to do with anything we're talking about. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. 
But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So like I said, at a young age, God comes to, to Joseph in this, in this particular instance in the form of a dream or two dreams, and he reveals purpose to Joseph. That you were born for leadership. You were born for authority. You were born for more than just looking after your father's sheep. And so Joseph, in his excitement, he tells this to his family. But what we find immediately after this is resistance to that purpose, resistance to that call. In the very same chapter, a couple of verses later, it says that Joseph or his brothers are out in the field one day doing what they do, look after the father's sheep and Joseph is coming along and apparently, I don't know if it's in the, I can't remember if it's in the Bible or if it's in my child's children's stories books. <laughs> I think it's in the storybook, it said that Joseph would tell his father what the sons were doing wrong. Does it say that? Yeah. No, okay, then it's in the storybook. <laughs> That's why they hated him, because he was always like tittle-tattling on them. Which one is which one? So anyway, they're out in the field looking after their sheep, and it says Joseph was coming along with his nice coat, and they looked at him and said, ah, here comes this dreamer. You know, we hate this guy. Let's kill him. And then Reuben's like, no, no, don't kill him. This is like, because he had a plan. Reuben didn't want to hurt him. Reuben was going to rescue him. Reuben's like, there's these big pits in the desert. Let's just throw him in the pit. And then uh, I'll come get him later. And so they do that. They throw him in the pit. And I don't know where Reuben was. He went off somewhere. And some slave traders come along. They were called traders of Midian. And the brothers decide to sell Joseph into Egypt as a slave. And so if you know the story of Joseph, he gets bought as a slave by a man named Potiphar, who's one of the, I think he's the, what is he, the captain of the guard of the land of Egypt. And so he works in Potiphar's house and Potiphar begins to notice this gift upon him. Joseph's got an amazing gift of administration and of wisdom. And so Potiphar says to him, you run my whole house, um, just do everything for me, I'll just eat my food. And that's literally what he said. <laughs> I'll just be concerned about what I eat. That's all he said. And so Joseph does it. He does this very well. And then one day, or after some time, Potiphar's wife begins to eye Joseph out. She's like, ooh, this guy's pretty good looking. My husband's away often on business. So she tries to lure Joseph to sleep with her. Time and time again, he says, Joseph, come and lie with me. Come, come, my husband's away. He's not gonna know. Nobody's gonna know about this. But every time he would resist, every time he would resist. And then one time she's doing it again and he's in her presence. And what she does, she grabs his cloak. And as she grabs his cloak, he runs away. And so she's like, well, stuff this guy. He doesn't wanna sleep with me. I'm gonna make up a story about him. And so she calls the guards and says, Joseph tried to rape me. Look, he has his garment. He took it off while he was trying to do it. And so they wait for Potiphar to come home. Potiphar gets angry, throws Joseph into jail. Right, now Joseph's in jail for a long time. And eventually there's a cupbearer, sorry, like the whole story now, a cupbearer and a chief baker of the pharaoh. They've wronged the pharaoh somehow. I don't know, maybe baked bread and it didn't rise properly. Who knows how they, 
It's like they offended Pharaoh and they got put into prison. It's like a baker. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so the baker and the cupbearer are in prison and they have dreams and Joseph has this ability to interpret dreams. And so he interprets their dreams that the one is gonna die, which he does die, and the other one's gonna be restored. And he does, and he says to the one that will be restored, remember me when you go to the palace. And guess what? He doesn't. And so here's Joseph, right? 17 years old. Whoa, God's calling me. God's painted a picture of, 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 of promise, of fulfillment, of calling in his life. That I'm gonna be someone who, who people who bow down to me. I'm gonna be in leadership. I'm gonna be in governance. I'm gonna be in authority. And now he's a slave. And now he's a prisoner. The complete opposite. The complete contrast from the, the one who sits elevated on the throne to the one who's sitting on the floor of a cold, dark dungeon. And so Joseph was faced with two challenges in his life. He said the first one was that wherever he found himself, people were against him. His brothers were against him. Potiphar was against him. Or Potiphar's wife was against him. And so there was always just like this, you know, I take one step forward and 10 people push me backwards. As I try to walk into this purpose, as I try to walk into this calling. The second was this, as I said now, is that, that the purpose that God had revealed to him was looking like the complete opposite, that there was a delay. But we know the whole story. Like we God in this one, we can see the whole timeline. He can only see what's in front of him. And so we know it was a seeming delay. And we're talking about God's advanced plan, God's deliberate plan, how he works all things together for the good, of all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so Pharaoh eventually has a dream. And in this dream, he dreams about cows and he dreams about corn. And he calls his magicians to him and says, guys, this dream's very weird. Please, can you interpret it for me? And none of the, his magicians could interpret his dream. And behold, there was the cupbearer guy. Remember the guy from a couple of years ago who was in prison? He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, by the way, you know, he remembers Joseph. And he says, when I was in prison, there was this guy named Joseph and he can interpret dreams. So Pharaoh's like, okay, call him to me. He does. Pharaoh tells him the dream and Joseph's able to interpret it. But the thing is this. Seemingly, Joseph looked to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like I said, the complete opposite of where he should have been. But at the exact time that he was needed, he could be found by Pharaoh. And if you know the rest of the story, the interpretation of the dream was that there would be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And that, that the, the Pharaoh needed someone with the gift of administration, someone with wisdom who could steward well the seven years of plenty 
so that in the seven years of famine, there would be enough food to eat. And Joseph was that man. He was in the exact place at the exact time. From a 17-year-old boy, it says, at the age of 30, he entered the Pharaoh's palace. For 13 years, and that's not even long compared to Moses. Moses is like 40 years. For 13 years, he had this burning purpose inside of him. He had this burning calling inside of him. But yet, it seemed like that which God had promised, that which God had said, He's not fulfilling it. But when we look at the life of Joseph, and we look at that gift, there was a gifting in him, there was an ability in him that was being worked, that was being trained in part of his house. Okay, whoa, I never did this in my father's house. Now this guy's giving me charge over his own house. It's like, whoa, I never knew I could do this. I can manage this, I can do this, I can do that. Goes to the prison. The prison, the prison guard recognizes the gift upon Joseph too. And he, he runs the whole prison. Says the prison guard hands over everything to him. I don't know what he just like, chill, watch TV. I don't know. But it's like, Joseph ran the prison. That's how he met the cupbearer and the baker. He went to attend to them in the morning. He did the work of the prison guard. There was a gift of administration upon him. There was a gift of wisdom upon his life that in the seemingly contrasting condition, God worked that gift and brought it to the floor. That when he would step into Pharaoh's palace, when he would step into the fullness of his purpose, he had already been trained in that which was needed for that moment. See, that gift of administration was already inside of him, but God needed to train him. God needed to work it in him for in order for, 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 to gain strategy for the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. And so I wanna encourage you, it's like, I don't know what God has called you to and where you find yourself now, but it's not a coincidence. It's not a mistake. God is working in you the gifts and the abilities for you to be where He needs you to be later on. And so we've got to trust, that they're saying, trust the process. Trust the Father. Trust God. And so here's the thing where I want to get to that through both of these obstacles, right, from the resistance from people in the, the seeming delay, there came a bigger challenge that Joseph would have to face. One that could potentially derail him, and that challenge was offense. More than people hating him, more than people accusing him, more than people trying to kill him, more than people throwing him into slavery, more than the, the hope deferred of this purpose not being fulfilled in my life was an opportunity for offense. I wrote here in my notes, like, just like God has a deliberate plan for our lives, so does the enemy. His deliberate plan for your life is to make sure that you don't fulfill your purpose. And guess what his number one weapon is? Offense. 
if you've been in the church for any number of time, we can all count on our fingers the reasons why people leave. And number one, all of us will agree, is that they got offended. And so that word offense, it's the word scandalon. And what it talks about, you no, know, like in a, if you're trapping an animal, right? And there's like a, a spring or a, or a stick. Normally they put like a piece of meat on it or something like that. And so when the animal goes into the trap and he pulls the meat or steps on the spring or steps on the stick, when he does that, that stick closes the trap. And that's what a fence is. A fence traps you so that you can't move forward into the purposes of God. You can't move forward into the core. Wow, I've got this thing on my, God's calling me there, but along the journey, I became offended. And so now I'm like, I can't move. I'm snared, I'm trapped by offense. And what offense does is it, it keeps me looking back instead of looking to the future. And so I'm looking back, oh, look at what they did to me. How could they say that about me? How come they promised me this but never did it? God, how come you said these things would happen? But I don't know, me carrying on and me stewing in this offense for like some people for years. But the purpose is still there. The calling of God is still there. Calling out to them. And all they need to do is just change direction. Let go of the offense and carry on. And so the enemy's plan of offense for Joseph wasn't that he would just be offended at people, but that he would be offended at God. You said this, but look at me now. You said I was gonna rule. You said, God, you said this. It wasn't my idea. You gave me the dream. You gave me the picture. You said I would rule, but now I'm in a Flipping a swear word. <laughs> There's some emphasis to us. Now I'm in a flipping prison. <laughs> Forgive me if that's a swear word. I don't think it is. Like you flip bottles. You know. <laughs> and now he finds this plate and there's a potential. Not only is he offended or that he can be offended with his brothers, first of all, with great reason, be offended with Potiphar's wife, be offended with the cupbearer, but he can be offended with God. And we see this even in, in Hebrews chapter three, it talks about the Israelites. And it says, in the times of testing in the wilderness, right? Where's the water? Where's the meat? Where's the bread? Why is it so hot? Why is it so cold? Oh, no, oh, no, no, no. You know, and so in the time of testing, it says their hearts became hard toward God. The Israelites, the, the, and it's like, they say to God, God, you said that we are the generation that will enter the promised land. You said it. Moses said, I will take you, this generation, and you will go to the promised land. And Father, now we're on our way to the promised land, but all these things are coming against us. This is your fault. Guess what happened? They got stuck in the trap of offense, and they died there. The Bible says they died in the wilderness. 
They died in their place of offence and they never stepped in to their purpose. They never stepped into their promise that their children after them had to do it. They got caught in the trap and they died there. And so we can be offended with God. And what it does is just like with a natural person saying, I'm offended with Joshua because he said we're gonna go have coffee and then he just didn't show up. Didn't call, <laughs> didn't WhatsApp. There's a safari somewhere filming lions. <laughs> Forgot about me. And so now I, I see him on a Sunday and I, and I see him coming towards me and I walk away. I'm not gonna talk to this guy. Every time, it's like the fifth time now. Stuff this guy. And so what's I'm, I'm offended with him, so I withdraw in my relationship from him. We do the same with God. When we become offended with God, we withdraw in our relationship with Him. And so He comes. Hey, well, <laughs> I'm just imagining Adam and even the call of the God. And it's like, he, we, come, we come to church because we know we're supposed to and He wants to love on me. He wants to talk to me. He's like, no, I don't want to talk to you. No. Tired of you. You just say these things and you never do anything. Can't you see what I'm going through? You said you would help me. You said you would provide. You said you would heal. You're not doing anything like that. I don't think I'm even gonna come next week. And we withdraw. We withdraw from relationship. We withdraw from fellowship. When in John 15 verse five, it says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do Nothing. And so without Christ, we cannot fulfill our purpose. And so here we see the, the, the strategy of offense, where it, it wages not only between myself and people, but myself and God, it wages this war between us. We are break off fellowship with God. That word abide in John 15 means to maintain unbroken fellowship. And so I need to be constantly, for me to fulfill my purpose, I need to be constantly connected to Christ. And what offense will do, it'll separate me from Him. Or I separate myself from Him because of offense. And so I want nothing to do with you. I'm gonna do this by myself. I'm gonna walk this out by myself. Guess what? You're supposed to be going there. You'll end up over there. Because without Him, we cannot do it. But offense will stop us from walking out our purpose. Remember when Gabriella was, like you get your baby car chairs, right? So you get like the baby one that fits in your pram and then you get like the bigger child one. So we needed to get a bigger child and they all the parents, the bigger child one and so I went into Facebook markets Oh, there's a lady, she's got this one, very nice one, called Angel Wings or something like that. So, so I met her, bought the chair, and now I needed to install this thing in the car. Yeah. These are like the most complicated 
baby chairs, like to put this thing in, like the seat pocket, like this whole thing, just to install this thing in the chair. And I had no idea how to do it. So here I am, I bought this nice car chair, but it wasn't fulfilling its purpose. Now it was just sitting on my lounge floor because I didn't know how to work it. And so what I did is I emailed the manufacturer, I emailed the creator. I said, how does this thing work? He's like, no, you do this. I'm like, oh, okay. So then I put it in my car, like, okay, the seatbelt goes there, 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 and there. <laughs> and then click, and it worked. And so the thing is, I had to go back to the manufacturer to find out how the purpose of the seat works. But if I'm disconnecting myself from my manufacturer, from my creator, I won't walk out the full potential of my purpose. I'm still, Lord, I'm still Paul, the preacher of the Gentiles, but I'm in a fence, I'm just sitting on the floor in the lounge because I don't actually know how to do this thing because my creator has been walled off from me because I don't wanna to speak to him because I've hardened my heart toward him because he said this, but I'm over here. He said, I'm gonna to preach to the nations, but I'm an usher. No offense to ashes. <laughs> You're in the right place at the right time. He's training you that when you preach to the nations, it'll be from what you learned as an usher. Don't get offended in the process. Hardly ever will God say, I'm calling you to be a missionary to China and you go the next day. Or you get born again and you get a prophetic word, you're gonna lay hands on the sick and cancer's gonna fall off. Very rarely does it happen in the same moment. I don't think I've ever heard. Usually, we get that picture, we get this picture of promise, God speaks to us from the scriptures, we get a, a purpose, a calling for our lives, and we come into the kingdom, something we've never had before. And as I start walking towards this thing, all of a sudden it's like, what's going wrong? It's like my heart is being challenged, my character is being challenged, I'm facing all these trials, I'm doing all these things, like everything that is in a complete contrast to that is happening to me right now. This is the way he works. Any person in the Bible, this is what he did. That journey from A to Z is a time of preparation. It's a time of character development. It's a time of stewarding well the day of small beginnings. And when we do these things well, when we walk it out without becoming bitter toward him, without hardening our hearts toward him, without becoming offended at him, and we walk through, when the, and what Paul says, rejoice when trials come, the, the testing and the trials, what? 
blah, blah, blah. The trial brings testing of your faith, brings perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And so God's developing all these things inside of me. But if I shun Him off and I separate myself from Him, I'm never gonna get to where He wants me to be because I'm not letting Him work in me through the process. Amen. So to achieve our purpose, who wants to achieve their purpose, their calling? Yo, some people didn't put up there. <laughs> Joseph sets a really good example. If you look at the life of Joseph, not at one point, not in one word, not in one phrase, did he ever accuse God? I mean, these guys would come to him with their dreams. They say, oh, God is the one. He's able to interpret these things for you. When, when, when Potiphar's wife came, he was like, oh, God, you've deserted me. I'm gonna desert you. Come on, baby, let's go. And he didn't do that. <laughs> he honored God. Even when he came before Pharaoh and Pharaoh told him the dream, he says, there is one in heaven. God can do these things. He always honored him. He never allowed himself through the process, through, the, through part of his house, through the prison. He never allowed his heart to become bitter. He never allowed his heart to become hardened. He never allowed offense towards God to creep in. And he never allowed offense toward those who hurt him to creep in too. Do you know that when Pharaoh appointed Joseph, right? He was second in the land. Pharaoh said to him, you have charge over everything except me. Joseph, in his power, his first act could have been a call for the head of Potiphar's wife, a call for the head of the cupbearer, and they would have done it. I want you to send out an army Find 11 men. <laughs> and when you find them, kill them. You could have done that. And they would have done it. They would have, okay, cool. You're the governor. Let's, whatever you say, we do. But he didn't. And even when his brothers came, <laughs> so funny, when his brothers came to, to get food from him eventually, they were like freaking out. They're like, oh my God, this guy's gonna kill us you know, for what we've done. And he, and he comes to him, he's like, guys, no. God sent me here. He sent me ahead of you to save our family. This is him. I have no bitterness towards you. And he says this, and then later on their father dies. Then again, they're like, oh my God, now our father's dead. Now he's really gonna kill us. <laughs> and he has to tell them again, guys, you're my brothers. I love you. And so Joseph demonstrated a heart of purity, a heart free from offense that every single one of us can walk in. And this, like I said, this was the, the biggest obstacle that Joseph had to face. The most potentially derailing thing that could happen in his life was offense. Yet he walked it through. And so can we. 
I want to read Matthew chapter 18 to you. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 to 33. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant who went out, he found that one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Yet he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that he had what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and, you, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you. We've been forgiven of so much. Just look at your life. I mean, I've said this before, when I was in school, I was like a blasphemer of God. We would take the Lord's Prayer and make it about marijuana. Like we literally do this. So our weed is in heaven. Make us higher this day. I would openly blaspheme God. I would go out of my way to hurt people, to use women, to pollute my body with narcotics. But he forgave me. Should I not forgive Josh? Because he didn't have coffee with me? <laughs> or he called me skinny? <laughs> so I get a bit deeper, like, <laughs> coffee is too surface level. <laughs> As my father has forgiven me, should I not? show forgiveness to others who have offended me. So we forgive people. Revelation 12 verse 10 says, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, but he's also the accuser of God. And when we go through trials, when we go through, through, through the prison, when we're going through the, the forget and the hurt and the betrayal, Satan comes to accuse God. Did God not say this would happen? You would be healed. You would be accepted. You would have promotion. You would be provided for. Did God not say? And so he accuses God to us. 
with the intent that we become offended with them. And so we've got to hold as truth, as a pillar of truth in our lives, that God is good. And Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That in all circumstances, at all times, no matter what it looks like, keep going through hell, no matter what it looks like, God is good. And he's working things together for my good. These two things, the forgiveness of people and the, 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 the establishment in my mind and in my heart of the goodness of God will keep me free from offense and give me the ability, like Joseph, who had every reason to throw in the towel, every reason. None of us ever walked through what Joseph walked through. He had every reason to walk away from God but yet he stayed the course and he fulfilled the purpose of God. And, and here's the thing, is that when he got to the purpose, when he got to that thing, it's, like, it's just like his dream, right? His brothers come, they don't recognize him. It says the, there's no grain in Canaan. So they come to Egypt to buy grain because they'd heard of this guy who's been storing up grain for seven years. And so they don't have any food and their father says, go to Egypt and buy something or we're gonna die. And so they go and it says, when they get there, they bow down. And Joseph, it says, Joseph becomes teary. It's like, this is what I saw. But this is what you showed me. This is the purpose. This is the calling. But as we see, as, it, as the story develops, is that, God's purpose or Joseph's purpose was God's plan to save his family, to save other nations. It was beyond being in a place of authority. It was beyond being a governor. It was beyond being in leadership. So because of God's, because Joseph walked out the plan of God, because he fulfilled his purpose and said, all the people of Egypt survived seven years of famine. And not only the people of Egypt, but even the surrounding nations were able to live. Their, their children, their, their livestock were able to live. They were able to survive because of Joseph. And even crazier than this is that Joseph's fulfillment of purpose set into motion God's advanced plan to bring the nation of Israel into Egypt. That which he had promised to Abraham. I don't know, how many years ago? 200 years ago. God spoke to Abraham, we read it in Acts chapter seven. You, your people, your descendants will go into a nation for 400 years. Guess how they got there? 
Remember with God's advanced, remember, take it back, right to the beginning, God's advanced plan for the, just take the nation of Israel. You would be born out of Abraham. You'd have these sons, da-da-da-da, Jacob, Jacob. You would go to Egypt, you'd be exiled from Egypt. You'll go here, you'll live here, you'll do this. He's got this all set out. And at the right time, he sends Joseph. And what Joseph does, he says, tell my father to come. He sets in motion the promise, the word that he spoke to Abraham when he said, your descendants will go into a foreign land for 400 years. This was the beginning. Moses came after this. And so he calls his father and says, dad, come, bring everything. Bring the children, bring the livestock, bring the whole, and basically the whole nation of Israel moved to Egypt. Joseph set into fulfillment the plan of God for that nation. And so our purpose goes beyond ourselves. It goes beyond a profile, goes beyond a salary, goes beyond a friend circle. The purpose and the plan of God for our lives is not only for our lives. It will always be for others. Why? Because God has put you strategically in the earth at this place, at this time, with these gifts and these abilities looking like this for His deliberate plan to save mankind. You say, well, I'm just an accountant. How does that save mankind? Walk it out. Just do what he says and you will see. All of us get to pay a part in that plan. And he's looking to us. He's looking at what he's put inside of us. I want you to be here and doing this now because when you do it, you will change the lives of many. But if we abandon our purpose and we, we allow offense and we allow all these things to, to come against us and to, to derail us and to disable us and, to, and we're getting stuck in this trap and we're 80 years old and we're still stuck in the trap, who are the lives that we were supposed to touch? Like Joseph, the nations we were supposed to save, the plans of God that, that I mean, someone witnessed to Billy Graham Imagine, Billy Graham had to be witness to you to get saved and the snowball effect that he begins to walk in the purpose of God first and billions of people get saved. But it started with the one guy who was the accountant. He was faithful, going to spa and God says, just tell the guy that I love him. That's the purpose and the plan of God. Amen. Do what he says. So I told this guy, thanks, bro, cool. Next thing, get saved, and he's the next Billy Graham. God is depending on us. You're not here by chance. You're not here by mistake. You're here by purpose, and you are here by His purpose and His plan. And don't let anything stop it, especially offense. 
especially the trial, especially the tribulation, especially the resistance. Walk through, persevere, and you will see the plan of God begin to unfold in you.